This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing... And knit and paint and dance and spin Would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy Here's something amazing To help you keep it together One, two, three Craft sanity, craft sanity Hello and welcome to episode 179, the very last show of 2015. I'm very excited because the 10-year anniversary of this podcast is coming up next month. Can you believe it? 10 years. It's been a long time here at the mic and so very fun. And we're going to get the party started a little bit early. I'm going to do this with a little bit of help from a new internet friend. My name is Lisa Congdon. I'm 47 years old and I live in Portland, Oregon. Now, I'm assuming that many of you know who Lisa is. For those of you who need a refresher, Lisa is a fine artist and illustrator. She lives and works out in Portland, Oregon. She does these really beautiful abstract paintings and also really intricate line drawings and a lot of hand lettering. She's been published by Chronicle Books, Martha Stewart Living. She also is represented by Uprise Gallery in New York. She writes the very inspiring and fun blog called Today is Going to Be Awesome. Lisa is also the author of six books, including Whatever You Are, Be a Good One, Art, Inc., The Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist, and 20 Ways to Draw a Tulip, and A Collection a Day. Her latest book, The Joy of Swimming, A Celebration of Our Love for Getting in the Water, is going to be released in 2016. So as you can see, Lisa is doing a lot of great work, and she's putting a lot of inspiring things out into the world. So we're going to get to the interview, but real quick before we do, I want to thank my Patreon sponsors. Thank you so much for helping to keep this show going. I really appreciate it. And I also want to thank Ted and the crew over at ACSHomeAndWork.com for sticking with me for the whole year. That was really great. Thank you so much. Head over to acshomeandwork.com to find some great tea towels that you could print on, embroider on, and some other home goods as well. Okay, so let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity with Lisa Congdon. I know you have this really cool experience where you're a fine artist and illustrator and a speaker and an author and all these things. Uh, if you can kind of sum up how you describe your work life right now, and then we'll backtrack from there to how you got to this point. For the longest time, I used to say I'm mostly an illustrator, but I don't know that that is entirely true anymore, but that is one of the things that I am. And um, so as an illustrator, I work with a lot of commercial clients thing that differentiates illustration from other things in the art world is that it's primarily commercial in that you're basically somebody hires you and pays you 
to make art that's going to go on something or in something mm-hmm. like in a magazine or newspaper on a journal cover on fabric on wallpaper home decor stationery whatever and um i love that work and i've done quite a bit of it um it was sort of my husband, my main source of income. I also do make fine art, which is distinguished from illustration in that it's like originals. Like I make work that where I sell an actual painting that I've made or drawing that I've made with my own hands. I mm-hmm. do that less now because um, illustration and book pub- book making and book publishing, which, which we can talk about more later has sort of taken over my life, as has teaching, speaking, writing. So I do still make a lot of art, but less and less of the original stuff that I that I then turn around and sell. I have a gallery in New York, one gallery that I work with, and try to shovel them over some work mm-hmm. every now and again. <laughs> and it's something that I miss and want to do more of in 2016. But yes, I also make books. I'm working, I just signed a contract for my, I don't know, fourth or book somewhere in there and I love making books and most of my books are books that I've put together and illustrated um, one book I wrote and somebody else illustrated and that book is called Art Inc the essential guide to building your career as an artist the book that I'm working on about to start working on I will both write um, edit and illustrate so all awesome. of my books look a little bit different some of them just mostly have illustrations and very little writing so I also teach. I do a lot of online teaching for the most part. I've worked with companies like Creative Bug and Skillshare and Creative Live. I'm hosting my own online course with my own sort of back-end setup um, starting in January. And I also, as you mentioned, do some public speaking and some, a bit of lecturing in, at colleges and whatnot. I have an Etsy shop that's been going since 2007 and keeps me really busy every week. So lots of, lots and lots of different things. <laughs> so can you give us a kind of an overview of how you ended up with these cool pens and markers on your hand and, <laughs> and paint on your clothes? I mean, how did this well, happen? Like, and what happened before you got to this point? Well, it's interesting. I was one of those kids who was pretty athletic. I could remember now I was definitely a creative kid, but I didn't, necessarily express it through art making like a lot of kids do. I grew up in a really artistic household. My mom is an artist, my sister, and my brother's a landscaper, but he like designs gardens. And my, my sister is a photographer and an artist. And um, my dad's a scientist. So I think that might be a lot of where my left brain comes from. So I wasn't an artistic kid. I didn't study art in school. In fact, I sort of stayed away from it. I would have much rather been on the soccer field or in the swimming pool. <laughs> and um, and then when I got into my 20s, I moved into a house with my first serious girlfriend. She was, at the time, a graphic designer. She is now like an art director and sort of works in much more significant ways than she did. This was, I don't know, 25 years ago. But she was this really artistic person. She had gone to school for fine art. She was a graphic designer, a, you know, aspiring art director. She exposed me to this whole world that it's not that I hadn't been exposed to it. My parents definitely exposed me to art and music when I was younger, but it, at a whole different level. Right. She grew up in New York City, so we would like go visit her family and 
she would show me art and tell me all about it. And she had books about art and I kind of got immersed. And instead of it being this thing that sort of I was not interested in, I just ate it up. And so that was my first initiation. And then we had this house together and I got really interested in decorating the house, which, which involved getting out this sewing machine that I had had since I was a teenager and sewing curtains and starting to make things. And this was before the, the whole DIY movement exploded or before the internet really. And I would get craft books and make things. And I got really in touch in my twenties with this crafty part of myself, but I never envisioned that it would ever be a, a life for me or that I was even remotely an artistic person. And what were you doing at the time? What, what, what kind of job did you have? Well, in my twenties, I was an elementary school teacher. I taught elementary school and I definitely expressed my creativity in that job. I sort of front loaded my kids with a lot of art activities and I got really interested in them and in teaching art and teaching about artists from history. It was just something that I found really exciting, which now doesn't seem surprising at all in hindsight because I know <laughs> that I'm so passionate about it. But at the right. time, it was, again, it wasn't something that I had ever previously shown an interest in. And then I went to work for an education nonprofit, became a project manager and then an associate director. And what happened was in my early 30s, very early 30s, I was about 31 years old, my brother called me up. Um, he's two years older than I am. And we were both living in San Francisco. He had just moved there. And he was like getting his, I mentioned that he was a landscape designer and he was getting his certification. And in the program he was in, he had to take an elective. And he was like, Lisa, do you want to take this painting class with me? I have to take it to meet some requirements for my landscape program. Um, it's at the UC Berkeley extension. You could sign up for two, you know? And so I did. And, um, we had a blast. My brother never picked up a paintbrush again. I don't think after that class, <laughs> but for me, it was like this awakening and I was not very good. I was just like everyone else in the class. It's not like I showed any special talent or anything like that. I just really loved it. And then I started um, I think it just really woke something up in me and made me feel passionate about something that in a way that I hadn't really before. And I had gone through a really big breakup that year with the person who introduced me to art actually, and was feeling a little lost. And so it was just a way for me to channel a lot of what I was going through. So I started taking art classes. I started taking more painting classes from this particular painting teacher. And then eventually I started, you know, working on stuff in my kitchen table. And again, this was years before I ever put anything on a blog or on the internet. And, um, and then on around 2005, that was in the early 2000s and around 2005, I had been taking a lot of classes and sewing a lot and just making a lot of things. It was very starting to get really involved in the craft community and had a blog and got on Flickr and I was, again, I was self-taught. So my work looked really different than it does now because I was my own student in a way, right? You know, right. I've taken classes, but right. really I learned to paint and draw. And so by just doing it over and over and over and practicing and learning from my mistakes. So I just fell in love with it, kept doing it pretty soon. By 2007, I realized, ah, maybe I can go part-time at my job and try to make a go at this. And at the time I thought oh, it would be like making some money in my Etsy shop. I never envisioned that, you know, I would necessarily ever have an illustration career. All of this happened very incrementally. Started having a few little shows of my paintings and drawings and even some of the stuff that I was sewing at the time. 
and slowly over time, I just kept putting my work out there, even though it was not very good, <laughs> or at least compared to what I do now, or sort of a little wonky. I just kept putting it out into the world, and I kept working through all the fear that I had about doing that and all the self-conscious feelings that I had. I just kept putting it out there, and I kept practicing, and I kept getting better. Eventually, in about 2010 or 11, things really started to happen for me, and um, by that point, I had left my job entirely. There were a few years there where I was definitely a starving artist, but I was determined not to let that last very long. And now it is my livelihood and my career, and I teach other people how to get there too. What was the first big thing that happened for you where you knew, like, okay, I'm onto something here. It's going to work. It's going to work in a big way. There were lots of little things that happened, but the first really big thing that happened to me was I wrote to the woman who later became my illustration agent with literally five things in my portfolio. And she took me on. And what's interesting is that I'm no longer with her. I have decided to not have representation. I have a literary agent now, but not an illustration agent. And I had, her name is Lola Rogers. She's pretty well known, teaches classes online for aspiring illustrators and folks who want to license their work. And what's interesting is that she knew who I was because knew one of her other artists that she represented. She had also seen this patchwork bag that I had sewn that was featured in this old craft magazine. Do you remember it? Adorn? Yeah, I do. Yep. Um, yeah. So it was only around for like a year or so or two, but they asked me, I, I sewed a lot in the, in what I called the old days. <laughs> like back in 2000, 2006, <laughs> way back, 2007. Way back yeah. Yeah. We have a 10, like <laughs> almost 10 years ago. Um, and they asked me to design and sew a uh, patchwork bag. They gave me the pattern, but I designed it with my own quirky patchwork or whatever. And so Lilla had loved the bag and had seen the article. So she also remembered me from that, which oddly was not related to my illustration. It was a sewing right. project. But for whatever reason, she brought me in for a meeting and I ended up signing with her with literally like, no, no you know, I had one client, which was Chronicle Books. I was doing some stationery for them. And very few things in my portfolio. And uh, But she decided that she was going to take a chance on me. I mean, now she holds like global talent searches for people. Like it's very intense to even get representation by her. But at the time, she wasn't as well known as she is. She took me on. I struggled for the first few years I was with her because I was trying to be an illustrator. And I didn't really understand what that meant um, in the beginning. But she was super patient and mentored me through it. And that was a really big deal. I thought if somebody with this much experience in the world of illustration and licensing sees something in me that I don't even see yet, something big could happen for me. And I continued to work really hard. Lila continued to represent me. We worked together for six years. Um, and then just last year, I left representation from her to, to work on my own. Um, my wife now handles all of my contracts for me. And that works better for me now, but it was a great opportunity for me at the beginning of my illustration career. And I, and I'm so grateful. And that was really the first big thing that happened for me. Well, it's interesting though. You say that, that was the first big thing, but then it sounds like you went to, you went to her and you already had Chronicle Books as a client. Yeah. That's it's interesting. Cool. I'd, so say, that, I'd say that's yeah. a pretty big thing too. <laughs> yeah. I guess that was another big thing. Um, so I had had a show, the biggest art show that I had ever had at that point was in about 2006. I went on to have other art shows 
a lot of what I did in the beginning of my career was just like having art shows. And I don't mean art shows at fancy galleries. I mean, art shows at clothing stores and things like that. And that's what I recommend people do when they're starting out. If you want to have a show, find a place to have it, talk to the store owner and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. There was a store that doesn't exist anymore in San Francisco. It's called Candy Store. And it was a beautiful clothing store and they had jewelry and they had like a lot of wall space. And I used to go in there all the time. So I sort of befriended the owner, Jennifer, and they invited me to have a show there. By a stroke of luck, also because Jennifer knew a lot of important people in San Francisco, the show got written up on this really popular blog at the time. I don't even know if it still exists. It was called Flavor Pill. And like, so you would get an email in your inbox on Friday that would tell you all the great things to do in San Francisco that weekend. Oh, wow. And somehow my show got listed (laughs) on Flavor Pill as a thing to do. And so it was packed. All these people came. The show sold out. It was kind of crazy. But a couple of people who showed up there were from Chronicle Books. And they saw these paintings of birch tree forests that I started making. They loved them. And so they contacted me afterwards and asked me if I wanted to come in for a meeting with Christina and Mimi, who was, was and still is the head of, um, is like the head editor of the gift department. And so I ended up doing a line of stationery with them first with this Birch Forest journal and then with some note cards, which it, now at this point in my career feels like kind of small beans to me, but at the time it was really big. It was big beans. <laughs> yeah. Well, I figured there had to be a, there had to be a story there of how you got connected. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. But again, it, it basically was you talking to the store owner who you were, you know, you were friends and yeah, well, said, and Hey, can like, I do a show? Exactly. And I think the thing that's really important to think about and remember is that I wasn't doing any of this because I thought it was going to lead to a career in illustration, but that's the thing that you never know when you put your work into the world, you never know where it's going to lead. And people get so scared to share their work or to show their work because it's not perfect yet. Or this place where they're going to have a show isn't necessarily their dream place. So they're going to wait. My mantra was always like, you know, it's always worth it. Like just go for what is possible now and you never know where it can lead. I always think about the band, the mates of state. I tell this story about how their, their first shows, were like in people's basements and in like the grungiest clubs. And they did all of that work first to get to the point where they then became famous and played in big venues. And I think that's a really important thing for creative people to think about. Right. Plus it'd be too scary to start in a giant venue. Exactly. Like we think that's what we want, yeah. but it's, oh, not man. What we, it's not what we want. You have to build up to that stuff. Right. And it's, <laughs> well, it's also cool to like have, I mean, the fact that you've been, you know, you've kind of grown as an artist in front of like in public, basically, you know, you put your work out yep. there, you start the small venues, you develop very dedicated fan base of people who really just are, they're kind of, they feel like they've been along for the ride. So they want you to be successful. My fan base is sort of in two categories. There's the people who have been around since 2005 or 2004 when I joined Flickr and have been following me on my journey <laughs> since then, which was over 10 years ago, by the way. Like yeah. there are people who are, who'll be like, so I had this blog way back in the day called A Bird in the Hand. And there are people who are like, I remember you from A Bird in the Hand days, or I bought one of your mod birds. I used to make these stuffed birds with wire legs whoa, because that seems so long ago to me and my work is so different. My life is so different. I had a full-time job then, and but they really have watched this journey. Then the other half of the people are the people who have just joined in the last few years. And like, they just assume that my life has always been like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, 
No, actually, it's only been in the last, you know, five years that my career has taken off. There was so much work and effort and sort of drudgery that went into the first five or six years of my career. What sealed it for you where you're like, okay, I really need to dedicate myself to this. Was it the small successes that added up when you're Etsy shop and just getting positive feedback to your art? Or was there something else that really just pushed you one day to be like, okay, it's full on right now. You know, it's interesting. I can't, I think it was a series of things, but definitely what really I think made the difference for me. And I should preface this by saying I came into the art world when the art, when the internet started to explode Mm -hmm. as a way that we communicated with each other and built community around whatever our interests were. And at the time that I started making art was um, right before that. But by the time I was good enough at it that I felt brave enough to share it was around 2004. And around that time was when a lot of craft blogs started and people we're sharing the things they were making online, places like Flickr. And I entered that community. And what happened for me was that I made friends and I felt a level of support and interest around the stuff I was doing. Again, was had no aspirations to be professional, but I think what turned that around for me was the support I received and people's interest in my work. It was like, I remember the first time, so... Kristen Rask, who owns Schmancy in uh, Seattle, she basically asked me to have my first show. I remember, like, I was at the desk, at, you know, in my office at my job. I had worked in this nonprofit organization. I had amazing coworkers and a really, uh, like, worked for an organization that had a really amazing dedication to public schools. And I felt, a, a, you know, a great sense of purpose mm-hmm. in my work. It's not like I until I found art, you know, my life was meaningless. It wasn't that way at all. And in fact, in some ways, the decision to, to leave all of that behind and become an artist was hard. But I remember I get this email from Kristen and she's like, I would like you to have a show, you know, let's schedule it for next year. So you have time to prepare. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm an artist. Like this isn't just a hobby anymore. Like this could be something. And of course that was in 2006 and it took or five, and then maybe the show's in 2006, but like, it took years, five more years before I could eke out a living from it, for sure. It's not like it happened overnight, but like the germ of the thing that, or the seed, right, that made me think this was possible um, somewhere in the future, like happened, and it was the most exciting thing. My heart was racing. I was so excited that was one moment. There are probably others where Mm -hmm. I was contacted by somebody to buy something or whatever. I think that it's like for anybody, it's just like a critical mass of support that starts to happen around you and your work um, really makes the difference because we can have all the confidence in the world and that's very important, Mm -hmm. but the support of other people and the confidence of other people is often what pushes us to the next level. A lot of the themes that I see coming up and uh, things you're blogging about and things you're talking about and projects you're working on or involved with uh, seems to be this whole concept of not slowing down as you age, but actually turning up the juice a little bit, you know, and keeping things going. And can you talk a little bit about um, about that? I turned 47 years ago and it was around that time that I actually was doing a lot of the things that we were just talking about, like 
I left my job when I was maybe 39. And then my art career kind of started in earnest around the age of 40. Um, I had been an artist and been making art, but my art career as a sort of singular thing outside of, you know, having another job Mm -hmm. um, started when I was 40. And in some ways, my life really began at 40 because I was finally doing something that I mean, I, as I said, I had a job for years that, that was meaningful to me. I, I cared very much about public education. I had aspirations to become a principal and potentially a district superintendent. I was really passionate about public education for low-income kids in particular. But this art-making thing made me feel happy in a way and fulfilled in a way that that didn't. And it also felt less frustrating. <laughs> public education was like, while I loved it, also yeah, it'd be like another battle lost, you know, or right. another disappointing day of budget cuts or whatever. And I was exhausted also. And art making actually made me feel super energized. And so, so that all started around the time I was 40. And the, that year I met the woman who became my wife. So I found my like, forever relationship and we got married a couple of years ago when I was 45 and a lot of life just sort of came together in my forties. And what's interesting is that a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, you say life is really awesome after 40, but you know, a lot of it sucks. Like I get, I wrote this blog post last January about getting older and how amazing it's been for me. And I got some, like literally some hate mail from older women who said oh, I was geez. lying and, and that their lives were miserable. And how dare I say that it was awesome. Oh it my goodness. So, you know, I just sort of have to say, okay, bitter, <laughs> ignore, delete, <laughs> oh whatever. What can oh I do for you? I don't know. Oh but um, it's true. And one thing that I often, I, you know, will say to people who might have that attitude is for me, my like bitter, angry, horrible life period was my 20s and 30s. Like if I was miserable ever in my life, it was then. If I ever lacked wisdom or confidence um, or any amount of self-love, it was then. And when I, I worked really hard on myself and um, worked hard to become a happy person and figure out what I wanted to do with my life, which is, I think, part of why I found art making, that all sort of came together when I was 40. And my life has gotten exponentially better since then. So for me, I sort of got all the crappy stuff out of the way early on in life. <laughs> and I feel like a wiser, more resilient, more strong person than I've ever been. So for me, getting older is just like, this is amazing because I don't have to deal with all the insecurity and, you know, like self-doubt that I had when I was younger. Right. And um, I like to spread that message. And from what I found out, like a lot of other people feel the same way as me. And so it's something I really want to celebrate. And, um, and I'm so inspired by women who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s who are still doing really amazing things and living mm -hmm. vibrant lives. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and I think they it's, they just smile, giving us give us these knowing looks, like, oh yeah, yeah I yeah, totally know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the um, the to it's the topic of my next book, which I'm just now starting. So I'm going to make a book of essays and interviews with women who are artists, writers, athletes, scientists, activists, thinkers, designers. You know, people who are really women who are really embracing the positive aspects of getting older. Things mm -hmm. that I mentioned already, like wisdom and emotional resilience you know, sense of humor, 
I think that gets really developed about yourself. You know, you oh, can laugh yeah. at yourself. If you can't laugh at yourself, then I mean, well, there's two, two yeah. options usually in most situations. You could laugh or cry about it, and I prefer to laugh. Um, maybe exactly. maybe that happens after I cry a little bit. <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, we also know that after something bad happens and we cry for a while that we need to just pick ourselves up oh, and move on. It's yeah. not the end of the world because right. we've learned a million times over that everything is going to be okay. And so, um, so the book is really like a testament and a tribute to that. And um, it's something that feels really exciting to me. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be in a place where I feel excited about the rest of my life. Um, even though I'm getting wrinkles and gray hair and having trouble, you know, doing things like exercising for as long as I used to be able to and but I'm still doing it you know and that's the important part when we see women who have lines in their face that you know are I mean these are lines that got there because they laughed a lot uh, and they and they talked a lot, and some of them might have smoked a lot too. <laughs> you know, you have the the smoke lines. I mean, whatever it was. I mean, these people they lived a life, and they're still living it. And you know, the, the marks on our faces, the laugh lines, and the you know the forehead creases and all that. I mean, that's it's kind of like the what's you know the the map that we've you know kind of the marks that are are there because of the, the journey we've taken. And um, it's I don't know why, but I mean, there's so many messages out there that are telling women especially to like erase those things and cinch up your face, get it pulled back tighter, you know, make sure your eyes aren't sagging and you don't have any cellulite and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just fake and it's exhausting, you know, when you have to try to it is. keep There's up with that. great quote by Frances McDormand, the great actress, which my sister introduced me to. And it goes like this, looking old should be a boast about experiences accrued and insights acquired, a triumphant signal that you are someone who, beneath that white hair, has a card catalog of valuable information. That is so awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah, so your next project is dedicated to that, and it sounds like you're putting a call out to people to submit things to you. Uh, at least that's what I read on yeah, social media I, today. Yeah, I'm looking for essays by women over 40 who tell some story or come from some kind, you know, some experience that they've had around being older that is sort of positively oriented. Mm-hmm. I don't want any cranky pants stories. Um, <laughs> those are also funny and interesting, but those can be in another book. Um, right, called Cranky so, Pants. Cranky yeah. <laughs> Pants. So that's, what, that's my new name for all the, the women who email me because they're, they've, Got getting because older you, isn't good Because you've for them. offended them by saying it's okay to be over forty and loving it. <laughs> yeah. Um, How dare you? <laughs> and it, yeah. So I'm interested in both suggestions for people that people might know who have done really phenomenal things at an older age. I'm particularly interested in this idea of the late bloomer, women who actually made major changes in their lives after forty or forge new paths after 40, not necessarily somebody who's always been doing amazing things and is still doing them. Those people are interesting, but I'm particularly interested in this, like starting a new life kind of idea. Um, So if you know anyone who you think might, who I might not know about, because there's a lot of famous people in that regard, but there are probably some who aren't famous who I would love to, to know about. I don't, I'm also interested in, in, in getting essays from people, short essays, um, personal essays from people around the topic. So, you know, I can't guarantee submission, but, but I'm interested to hear people's ideas. And so I wrote a blog post today with that call so people can go to my blog and find it. 
Yeah, and I'll link to if that as interested. well so they can find it great. easily. Yeah, and and that's I, I just think it's great that you're adding to the conversation, though, of, of just really positive um, thinking about the aging process. Do you feel like it's important to kind of show other people like that this is possible? For yes, themselves? and I was going to say that for me, what's been the most gratifying thing is that it's this point of connection between me and other women um, who might feel passionately or be interested in making art either as a hobby, but more a more serious hobby or as some part of their living or eventually as their entire living to see that somebody did it as a second career. Somebody did it as a self-taught person. Now, of course that required a lot of work on my part. Um, you know, this is not something that necessarily comes easily, but that it can be done and that you don't necessarily have to be young. And in fact, part of the reason I think my business has been so successful is because I learned so much for the 15 years I spent working as a teacher and then in the nonprofit world Mm -hmm. with colleagues and clients and other human beings. And I learned how to communicate well. And I learned the power of positive communication. And I learned how to schedule my time and how to stay organized and, you know, manage a big workload. And um, those are all things that they don't teach you in art school necessarily. I mean, to a certain extent, they teach you how to manage a big workload, but real life is a little different. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that, I think there are a lot of other artists out there who are also, you know, successful because they're organized and they work hard, but I feel like my life experience made up for whatever lack of talent I had or technical skill I had in some ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel really grateful for that. And um, I feel like part of the reason that my career has been successful is that I had all this work experience that, that I could tap into. And that's a benefit of being older and having life experience is that you just, you have a lot more to draw from in your career, whatever it is you decide to do as a second career potentially. And I think that is also an important message that you come into whatever it is you're doing with, with all of this experience that you didn't have when you were 23 and that other 23 year olds don't have. So in a way we have a leg up there. Are you still blogging every single day? My goal is always Monday through Friday. That sometimes happens this week. I think it will last week. It didn't. So last week I blogged, I think two days, And this week, I think it will end up being five. I would like very much to write more long form essays. Those are really popular on my blog. And I just don't have time writing. um, Takes time and thought and consideration. And um, as does preparing photos and images. I do a lot of interviews with other artists and writers and thinkers on my blog, written interviews. And those are great but those also take time. And so I aspire to blog as often as I can. I think it's a blogging for, for creative people is a really great way to share your work, to Mm -hmm. share your inspiration, to expose people to the other people that you admire, to, to have a presence online that's deeper than Instagram or Twitter. And um, so I've been committed to it for many years. I took a short break. I've had, this is my third blog. Um, <laughs> I've, taken, I've taken some short breaks in there and then like completely deleted everything off the internet that, that I ever wrote, you know, but this is my longest stint now since 2011. I've had this same blog. It's called today is going to be awesome. And so, um, 
And I actually really like it. Blogging is something that I look forward to. And I figure one day if it's not anymore, then maybe I won't do it. But I do enjoy it. And um, and I actually wish I had more time for it. It's just that my schedule doesn't always allow me to, to fit in a blog post. Um, but I do try. Well, how important do you think this has been for the growth of your business? Because, I mean, you're talking to readers, uh, you know, up to five times a week. And that, so that dialogue, I mean, they're, they're coming to back to your website to see what's happening and how big of a factor has that been in just your success as an artist? I think it's huge. Um, but that takes an enormous amount of commitment. I mean, part of the reason that I have so many readers now and I don't have any advertising or anything on my blog, part of the reason that I have so many readers is, um, that, um, that I've committed to it, um, for a really long time and, because I'm not a blogger, like that's not what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. I have to fit it in outside of the other stuff that I do, but I've been really committed to it because I know it makes a difference. Like I have a whole community of people who supports my work and who want to take classes from me and who want to read my books and are interested in what I'm doing and want to buy things from my Etsy shop. And this is a place for them to go to keep up with what I'm doing. And as a maker, it's really important to have a community of people and audience for your work, not just an audience, but for me, these are people that I've become friends with and gotten to know and I recognize. And um, and I have comments on my blog, so there's not a whole lot of discussion, but that was a strategic thing on my part to keep me from getting too sucked into whether or not, you know, people were engaged with the content. I get, I think we get enough of that on Instagram and Facebook now, um, did these you... days. Was there a point when you did have comments on this latest blog or um, that you're No, running? I've never had never. comments on okay. Today is Going to Be Awesome, but my previous two blogs, I had comments and I found myself, this is of course before I had like an actual art career that um, took up all of my time, but I found myself getting really sucked into the comments and it was taking me away from the more important things in life. And I, right. when I started this new blog in 2011, I made a really strategic decision to not include them because at that point, social media was a thing and people were using Facebook and Instagram to begin to communicate and, um, and comment. And so there are ways for people to get in touch with me if there's something that they want to say. And, um, there's a lot of cross pollination between my blog and other forms of social media, which is great. Um, and so, yeah, I think that my blog's been great. And I think that there are other artists out there who have blogs that help their careers, but it takes an enormous amount of dedication. It's not like you can start a blog, post on it once a week or once a month and expect it to positively impact your art career. You have to stay with it even Mm -hmm. when no one's reading it. And even when no one's paying attention, you have to just keep putting content on it. And then eventually people will find you and it will take hold but that's the hardest part is like doing this thing that no one's reading um, in the beginning is hard. So, um, but I do think if you stick with it, it can be a great place for people to connect with your work and, and, and help to support your living. It has been for me. Well, for sure. congrats to you for sticking with it. And it sounds like it's been a great, a great outlet for you too. Yeah. I love blogging. Mm-hmm. Now, is this, and you said this is not part of your typical work day, though, when you're making well, art. It's, you're... I say that, you know, it's so interesting. It's not like a paid thing, right? I mean, it leads to things. <laughs> right, right. Everything leads to something. But no, it's more like, um, okay, so I get up in the morning and I have a to-do list every day. And on the first thing on my to-do list is always blog colon. 
And then um, if there's something on the right-hand side of that colon, I'll usually make time to write it or organize it or post it. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I either can't think of a topic or I just don't have time. So that thing gets crossed off. But if I blog at all, it's first thing in the morning. So it, and sometimes that's five minutes and sometimes it's literally two hours. Like the post I made today about my upcoming book, I wrote yesterday because I wanted to be thoughtful about it and I didn't want to rush and do it over breakfast and coffee, which I Mm -hmm. sometimes do. So, um, so it just depends. And sometimes if I write a long form essay about a serious topic, I work on it for three days. Um, so it is definitely part of my work schedule, um, but not in the way that client deadlines are. Right. Well, it's a it's a beautiful blog and there's just great Thank interviews you. with people. And just I love how you it, you use you, you give previews of your work. Um, I know I've been able to check out what's what to expect in the, the book that's coming out about um, the joy of swimming which I'm yeah. very, very excited about this book. And when is that one coming out? That one comes out in April. And then I'm, um, it's called The Joy of Swimming, a celebration of our love for getting in the water. And it's basically a tri- my own personal tribute to swimming as a sort of cultural phenomenon, something that across cultures we love to do. I mean, there are certainly people out there who do not like to swim and do not like the water. But for the most part, it's something that either recreationally or for some people competitively, um, something that, you know, not just as an American culture, but um, like as a worldwide culture, we, we really love. And the book talks about swimming pools and swimming culture in different countries and profiles, just regular people who swim every day and why they swim and um, um, people whose lives have been changed by swimming because of some uh, mental health or addiction issues or, you know, physical disabilities that thing has, has supported and helped. Um, there's swimming related artwork that I made and infographics and history and information about swimming. Um, it was a really fun book to make. And so then in May I go on a book tour. Now, are you going to swim in pools, um, as many pools as you can around the country when you go on, on the, the book tour? tour? Yeah. You know, that's a really great idea, Jennifer. I would totally do that if I was you. Okay. Trying to do... I think I need to, I think I need to, that could be like a blog series too. Yes. Like on my book tour, I go swim, take a picture of the pool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a great so idea. Fun. No, I hadn't planned on that, but, um, I think I might steal that idea. From no, you, it's, so. well, it's not stealing. I'm suggesting, I'm giving you this idea. It's a gift. I want you to do You're this. giving it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, oh, she stole my idea. I didn't write a book about swimming. So, you know, it's not like I have a book coming out too about swimming. And I'm like, oh, she's promoting yeah. her book with my idea. No, I think this is great. And so uh, do you swim every day? How often do you swim? I did for a while. Um, I was on a team here when I moved to Portland for a brief time and it just disbanded. It was a really small team. And I think the, there was a leadership vacuum. Mm, yeah. Um, and then the closest master's team to where I am right now um, is just too much, too long of a drive for me every morning. I think especially during commute hours. Oh yeah. But um, but I do. So I actually am training for a 10k. I've gotten really into running um, since cool. I moved to Portland, and um, so right now I'm running a lot. But I think in January I'm going to get back into swimming. I don't swim every day. I have gone through periods in my life where I have swam literally seven days a week, um, and I love swimming. And I actually am missing it a lot. And I have a pool here in Portland. It's a public pool, but there's great lap swimming lanes and um, a great facility. So I'll probably get back in the water in January and uh, and start swimming at least, you know, three days a week again. Well, it sounds like you're setting yourself up really well to go and do a triathlon. Have you done one before? Huh. Well, 
Okay, so what's interesting is that, well, what you didn't mention, but you probably already know, is that I'm a cyclist. I do know as that, well, yes. Although I'm not cycling right now because the weather in Portland is really cold and wet. So yeah, and that's dangerous. It's not, when I mean, it's some wet. people brave it, but I am not into it. So, um, I mean, I like the weather. It's fine, but I don't want to ride my bike in it. I've tried triathlons before, and I, I'm not opposed to the idea, and I could see myself being somebody who at 65 maybe does one for the first time. But quite frankly, they in the times that I've attempted them in the past, I started, I did my first triathlon or trained for my first triathlon when I was 17. So I've been an athlete my whole life. And what I know about training for an event like that is that it takes up your entire, all of your free time. (laughs) And I don't have very much free time to begin with. So, um, so I don't know if a triathlon's in my future as much as just, uh, enjoying whatever workout time I can get, but you never know as I get older that that could change. But you're doing a 10 K though. What race are you doing? We're doing this one on January 2nd called, I don't even really understand the name. It's called Y2K. It's just a race here in Portland. So I won't be racing it. I will be You're running it. You're just going to be running it. And you know, that's, yeah. that's fun though, just to be, now are you running with Clay? Do you guys both run? Yes, we run together. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and we're about the same pace. So it's actually super helpful. Well, and Clay, um, Clay is a cyclist so we, as well, correct? Yeah, we also ride together. And we are... Very similar speed. I'm a bit faster of a cyclist than her, especially when I'm in shape, but that's only because I have longer legs. She's tiny. Um, <laughs> uh, we run about the same pace, and um, um, I can kick her ass in the pool, but um, <laughs> but that's because I was a competitive swimmer most of my life. Um, but she's an amazing uh, athlete, and I feel so glad to be married to somebody who likes to do all the same things that I like to do. Oh, yeah. Um, not so, all the same things, but at well, least, at least like yeah. to get outside and do stuff. Yeah. Well, you guys have a built-in training partner, which is awesome. Exactly. Because, yeah, it's exactly. really fun to train by yourself, you know. So did you, how did you guys meet? We met online, actually. Really? Um, yeah, okay, Cupid. This is the thing that I like to, everybody needs to know about Clay and me, is that we joined Okay, Cupid. The same day, without of course not knowing that about each other, we didn't had never met before. She was living in Berkeley at the time, and I was living in San Francisco. We joined the same day. She messaged me within 24 hours, and um, she said something like, "I think I meet all of your criteria." Because in my posting, <laughs> and I had I hadn't done online dating in years, and in fact, I had been single for a long time, so I was very careful about saying what I wanted. I was just like, I'm going to put it out there to the universe because I'm done with bad relationships. So I'm just going to ask for what I want. And, you know, and if somebody's intimidated by my description, then screw them. I don't want to date them anyway. And so within 24 hours, she messaged me and she was like, I think I meet all of your criteria. <laughs> um, as if I had written it as criteria, which was kind of embarrassing, but also kind of not funny. surprising that she thought that. But yeah, because um, that's kind of I don't know. It makes sense to me now. But anyway, so I agreed to go on a date with her and we went on a date and within a week we had decided we wanted to date exclusively and we took our profiles down. So while we met online, neither of us dated anyone else and um, we were barely on this. We were like the first person that each person met. We didn't date anyone else and we were dating exclusively following that and took our profiles down within a week. So I forget sometimes that that's how we met because it wasn't all of the usual drama that can be involved in online Right, dating. right. You didn't have 12 bad dates with other yeah. people. And as and, it turns yeah. out, we had mutual friends and there's probably other ways we could have met. 
the, yeah. the lesbian world in San Francisco is, is like two degrees of separation <laughs> between you and every other lesbian. So that's kind of like we, you know, literally on our first date, we figured out all the people we knew in common, which is oh, quite a so funny. Well, and it sounds like it's, it worked out beautifully, though. You, how long have you guys yes. been together? Uh, seven and a half years. That's great. And you We've guys married got married two, yeah. two years. And I know you had photos. I feel like I went to your wedding because I saw the photos online. Yeah, I was on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, which is, I mean, it's crazy too. I mean, I got married in 1998. And so um, this was before Instagram and everything. So no, we, oh, I, didn't yeah. have to, I didn't have to worry about like guests sharing photos of my wedding before I got to, yep. you know, <laughs> yep. so it's a whole different, yep. a whole different thing. But um, yep. yeah, and I mean, and that's cool too, that you've let the people that follow you, you let the community of just everybody out there that loves art and loves your art um, kind of be part of these big milestone moments in your life. But I also know I witnessed some things on Instagram. I want to say it was, I don't know if it was reference to the wedding or what happened, but you've put yourself out there and people have not always been kind. There was a one incident that happened earlier this year. And um, what was so interesting is it was the most blatant incident. And um, the my followers were so like I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> just kind of like, my followers took care of it, and I felt so much love. And the thing is, like I've had haters, not just about my sexual orientation or my art or whatever choices I make in my life, including to be positive about um, getting older. Um, there's always going to be at least one person. There's probably more than one person who don't like you. Right. And um, most of the people who don't like you aren't going to say anything publicly. They're just going to not like you in private. And that's okay. Um, there are people that I don't like. And <laughs> that's just part of being human, right? You right. can't like everybody. Right. There's going to be, be people who annoy you. And I am sure that I annoy a lot of people just by being myself. And I think that in my younger years, again, with, you know, the positive aspects of aging, but in my younger years, that would have killed me to know that there were people out there who don't like my work or don't like what I have to say or don't like my voice or don't like the way I communicate. Um, but it just doesn't bother me. Like I, ha there are enough people who support what I do and enjoy what I do. I try to be, to be myself in everything that I do and to be, you know, earnest. And if you don't like me, that's okay. It's a little annoying and I think rude when people express that on social media. In my opinion, like if you don't like what somebody says or you don't like their lifestyle or you don't appreciate somebody's voice, then don't follow them. That's your choice to follow right. them. Right. I'm not shoving it down anybody's throat. And um, I just sort of doesn't bother me anymore, really. I mean, of course, mean comments always hurt. They feel very personal when they happen, but I usually get over it within 24 hours <laughs> and I just focus on the positive stuff. And I think, you know, most of us who are, have large followings and, um, you know, the larger you're following, the more apt you are to have for lack of a better word, haters, like mm -hmm. you just learn to deal with it. It's part of it. It doesn't, it's not necessarily easy, but you find that it's just easier to move, move on and you just focus on the aspects of your life that are fulfilled and the people in your life, including the people you don't know who give you so much love and support every day. And that's sort of how I deal with all of that for the most part. Authenticity, it can be really inspiring to other people. So, you know, I know it's been painful for you at times and, um, but thank you for putting yourself out there. Cause I, I, I do think that, thank you. you. Know, that's thank you. It's I, huge.
yeah, my goal is not to necessarily be a guru or actually it isn't to be a guru or a teacher or a, like a thought leader or somebody who's inspiring to other people. That's not what I wake up and set out to do. Um, I just want to be myself and I am a real person who like goes to the bathroom like everybody else and and gets gas and like, you know what I mean? Like has bad days and yells unfairly at her wife and you know, I'm not always super organized or clean. And I think that people imagine because of what we choose to post online that everybody's life is perfect and their life is, you know, pales in comparison, but we're all human. We're all, we all, you know, have the same bodily functions and worries and stresses. And, um, and, um, I just don't want to bombard people with negativity. So I just choose to focus on the stuff that I'm excited about and that makes me happy for the most part. Well, and is that why you decided to write a, a blog that is called today is going to be awesome? Um, that... <laughs> yeah. And it's actually kind of a reminder to myself, yeah. um, to, to like, to focus on the positive. You're going to be at the Midwest Craft Con yep. um, coming up, and that's in Columbus, Ohio, and it's going to be the weekend of February 20th. And I know I'm going to be out there podcasting, so it'll be nice Yay. to... We'll finally have we a conversation this yeah. time. Yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> so you're going to be there, and you're going to do the keynote, which will be really cool. Yep. And what can people expect? Giving it some thought. I haven't written the talk yet, but I'm really... And we've, had, we've, we've touched on this since we've been talking in the last hour, but I, I've been thinking and writing a lot about this idea that there are messages we tell ourselves, you know, especially as women mm-hmm. and as creatives about why something won't work or why we might never be successful at what we do. I mean, it's like we go into our endeavors with the assumption that we are the underdog. And while that humility and serves us in many ways, I feel like having a humble attitude is great. Many of the, messages are also like self-deprecating and are damaging and prevent us from having success in our creative businesses. And I think most of these messages come from decades of, you know, deeply ingrained cultural beliefs about what it means to be an artist or a maker, you know, that we're destined to be poor or that we aren't smart business people. And I think, you know, a lot of those messages prevent many people from even attempting to make a living doing what they, they, they're good at um, and what Mm -hmm. they love to do. My goal right now is to turn those preconceived notions on their heads and help people, women in particular, embrace not just their craft, um, but their aspirations for success, you know, in whatever way they define it. And, and that's, that's, I think, a lot of what I'll be talking about. Of course, you know, and this is huge, none of that, doing what you love, comes easily or without hard work or organization or strategic decision making and especially talent. Like, you got to have all of those things to run a successful business. but even people who have all of those things often don't have a successful business because they think poorly about themselves or what their potential is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think having notions of ourselves as powerful as opposed to powerless is where I like to start. You know, I think especially for women, you know, we come, most of us came up in this world, like learning to second guess ourselves, learning to doubt ourselves, learning not to think of ourselves as having any power at all. I think there are exceptions to that. And if you're one of those women, you are super lucky. Right. Um, I didn't really learn to like live in my own power until I was in my forties. And, um, you know, I was in many relationships and things in life where I just doubted myself constantly. And I see that all around me, especially with artists, you know, and, uh, cause it's not something like you tell your mom, I'm going to be an artist when I grow up. And she says, 
great. Like you said, <laughs> right. you were going to be a lawyer or a doctor. Right. right? They like, start to, your parents just, start to worry. Fear. Yeah. yeah. And not all parents are like that, but, and that's because we have all of these beliefs about what it means to be a maker, what it means to be a creative person, what that mm-hmm. means for your life. Um, like following your passion is actually super dangerous because you might be poor and miserable, you know? And, um, I just am like, I, I, I don't agree with those, those notions and I'm and really invested in, and turning those around. So that's part of what I'm going to talk about in at Midwest Crackon, which well, I'm really I, excited about. Thank you so much. Have All a right. lovely evening. Thank you, Jennifer. I can't wait All to right. See you, see, in... you, see you in February. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you then. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, a special thanks to Lisa for being on the show. I really had fun during this conversation and I hope you folks at home enjoyed it too. I recommend that you become a regular reader of Lisa's blog if you're not already. And that you check out her website. There's a lot of cool stuff there. And, uh, you know, just crack open a sketchbook and do a little doodling. And if you want to meet Lisa, you should definitely try to come to the Midwest Craft Con in February. I'll have a link to sign up for that. Uh, I am going to be going and podcasting from the event and recording shows with creative types and makers from all walks of life. This would be a really fun opportunity to connect. So you can check out the website for more information on that. And I posted recently on my blog some of the topics I'm going to be looking to talk about with folks that I meet at CraftCon. If you're not able to go, but you want to talk to me about these topics, head over to CraftSanity.com and look for the post that says, meet me in Columbus. So I wish you all the best in 2016. And I just want to thank you for listening to the show. And some of you have been listening to the show for a very long time. And I really appreciate it. It's been really fun. If I could hug each and every one of you, I would, because there have been a lot of things that have changed for me and challenged me in the last decade. But I always have this microphone to come back to, and uh, and that's been pretty cool. So thank you for being part of my community, letting me entertain you, along with the talented guests that I've had on the show along the way. So I'm looking forward to some exciting things happening next year. If you have suggestions or any comments on any of the things that I've said today, feel free to drop me a line, jennifer at craftsanity.com. So I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week will be craft.